Hello and welcome to Socially Awkward History, a new podcast from History Hustle. It's the show that puts the cringe into Cromwell and the awkward into the Austro-Hungarian Empire. History Hustle is an online hub for history buffs across the world, and this podcast is a celebration of awkwardness throughout human history and hopefully shows just how relatable and relevant the past is to today. I'm your host of this podcast, Joe Gillard, the founder of History Hustle, and I'm joined by my producer, Giles. Hey, Giles. Hello, Joe. So, yeah, I'm not as qualified, um, slash I'm not qualified at all to talk about history, but I am British, which automatically qualifies me to be quite a bit awkward. So, here's how this works. Each episode of this podcast, I will be armed with some socially awkward facts to dissect and discuss with a comedian guest and see whether they still ring true in modern day life. So this is the show for fans of history as well as lovers of obscure and often silly facts. And don't worry, History Hustle prides itself on factual reporting and human stories. So all of these facts have been fact-checked with a link to all of them in the show notes of this episode. And of course, a huge thank you to our sponsors for this series, Ancient Origins. More on them a bit later, uh, but it's time to introduce our guest for today. Giles? Yes, so today's guest is... Uh, a multi-award winning stand-up comedian. It is Sam Lake, as well as starring in all fours The Joy of Missing Out and Dave's The Comedy Guide to Life. Sam has written for Newsjack and Mock the Week and is the winner of Leicester Square Theatre's New Comedian of the Year. His first stand-up hour, Cake, debuts in 2022, assuming it's safe to go outside then. Hello, Sam. Hello. I'm very happy to be here and to learn. (laughs) Uh, How awkward would you say you are being also a British person? Well, I think you've met me before. I walk into every room uh, with a certain amount of very threatening confidence. So I'm going to try and imagine what it's like to be awkward. It's going to be a very strange sensation for me. (laughs) And what about uh, history? Would you say... You are history buff or a history <laughs> non-buff? I think I'm... I, I I did history at GCSE and I did get an A, but I think all that means if you studied history at that level in Britain is that you know far too much about Nazi Germany <laughs> than, than a 15-year-old should. We spent a lot of time learning about them Nazis. They weren't <laughs> great, were they? I'm sure you know. Um, so a, a, a very small subsets of history I might have odd information about. But then everything else, clueless. Absolutely clueless. Joe, when it comes to the US education system, what, what um, percentage would you say is made up of Nazism? Um, probably about the same percentage. 80 to 90. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure I learned anything else. Uh, World War Two, yeah, that's about it. Uh, yeah. Benjamin Franklin, you know. Just the greatest hits. <laughs> this first fact is about John Joseph Merlin, um, an eccentric inventor in the 18th century. John Joseph Merlin, he was the, uh, he's called the inventor of roller skates. So he actually wore roller skates to a masquerade party to kind of introduce them to the world. Rolled in playing a violin, but he didn't invent brakes yet for roller skates. So he ended up crashing into a giant mirror, destroying the mirror, uh, breaking the violin and uh, injuring himself. (laughs) That's a lot to take in all in one go. (laughs) So he's on roller skates. He He went to a masquerade party. 
He was also playing the violin. Yes. <laughs> and he crashed into a mirror. And he was sober? Ooh. I don't know. Back then, probably probably not. I'm sure he pre-gamed <laughs> this event. I'm just thinking of like any sober person that would say, yes, I could confidently do all of those things mm. at the same time. <laughs> Is that... Did they have the superstition back then of crashing into a mirror meant like seven years bad luck or something? That's a good question. Um, you know, I remember reading reading an article that mentioned that, and they said he seemed to have some pretty good luck after that. He had a pretty successful career, so oh. we've squashed that superstition. Sam, when it comes to making grand entrances, do you think you can ever do too much? Because it sounds like this gentleman, rather than doing one or two impressive things, decided to sort of do three or four. I mean, what's a good level of making a grand entrance? Uh, ooh. How would you do it? I'm thinking you're you're going to... A cousin's twenty-sixth wedding anniversary. Okay. Okay. What? What? How are you? How are you? How are you making a grand entrance? Are you using roller skates? The famous celebration of the twenty-sixth wedding anniversary. <laughs> We've all been there. Um, well, if it's for a family member, I don't want to upstage them. So I think just you know, very soft pyrotechnics. Nothing crazy. <laughs> uh, I think Daddy's coming in from the ceiling as well, um, and. Some backup dancers, not too many, just like, you know, Britney formation in a triangle. So five behind me, some very light choreo with the hands. Um, and, uh, you know, just an hour and a half long uh, set list um, that everyone will really enjoy. Wow. Seems reasonable. Joe, thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. That seemed, I think we would all agree that's that's what we would all do. <laughs> Merlin, yeah, this guy also, he would in, he, had, he invented his own wheelchair that he would take to parties too. So he definitely had a thing for, for rolling around um, at parties. Did, and, is, this a, is this a strange question? Did he have full function of his legs? You know what? That's actually, that's a good question. And uh, I'm not sure. I believe he did. I believe he did. I think he just liked... Um, he liked to be on wheels. Fair, fair play to him. I mean, it. I'm just. I'm. I'm curious about what the motivation was to just put wheels on everything in the same way that like boy races where I grew up would put like massive subwoofers in the boot <laughs> of very cheap cars. Like there was never a limit to what you could put on mm. what. And and also I think the order of those wheels was it roller skates grand entrance crashing into a mirror and then the next party he was then in <laughs> in a wheelchair or was it you know concurrently together i mean do, do we know joe or does that does that level of historical accuracy is that slightly too specific a question yeah i'd have to sort the anecdotes out on that one but that's a great question <laughs> also sam another one have you ever tried to impress someone and fail horribly now you you mentioned off air you were a fairly newly married man i mean I was was there a, was which i will reveal but was there a yeah have you ever tried to impress someone but but that, that hasn't gone well no it's worked every time and that's why i'm married <laughs> deal with it probably uh i my go-to party trick is doing the splits which is i i think impressive for a man because we have uh we have parts I'll try to keep it like <laughs> nice and sensible. Um, sometimes that has backfired. Sometimes I'll give my. Sometimes I'll do it up in the club when I was still of going to the club age, and uh, <laughs> I would like twist something in an awkward way, and then just like limp 
for the rest of the evening but i was just so lit on cherry vks <laughs> they'd be like this is, i'm i don't feel anything in mm. fact i think i might do it again i feel great what are you talking about what blood <laughs> excuse me no yeah i think no that i think that's um that's relatable and i think uh, <laughs> the cherry vks in particular i think that but um i was i was just no i only said that slowly because i was thinking about have i ever um tried to impress someone and it wasn't trying to impress someone but i remember when i was about 13 going to kiss my then girlfriend but not really a girlfriend and she went backwards like this like i can't think of the word like lurched backwards and recoiled. She, and I said, recoiled is a good word. And and I said, why why are you recoiling? And she said, I thought you were going to headbutt me. So that was <laughs> sort of like equally, you know, not great. Joe, have you ever have you ever tried to impress someone and fail horribly? A nice positive topic. You know, what comes to mind is usually when I'm when I'm trying to impress somebody, I I think a lot about what I'm saying when I'm saying it and how I'm looking at them. So by the time that they respond to me, I, I've stopped listening completely to what they're saying. And so there's no conversation at all, and there's just um, there's just me wondering what what they just said happens frequently. <laughs> what do you mean you're sort of like you're you're sort of staring at them whilst the conversation's going on? Yeah, yeah, kind of like thinking like, wow, that went really well. I I said that perfectly, and then now they've they've just gone on to you know say something. <laughs> That they'll never be able to repeat, and I'll, I'll never know what they said. So certainly, that's my approach to being a podcast guest. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I don't know what you just said, Sam, but I was just sort of looking directly at you. <laughs> so I like this one, uh, Margaret Cavendish, the uh, philosopher and scientist from back in the 17th century. Uh, was a very very awkward woman but she was a thoughtful person and one day she was she was trying to she was just thinking about all of her acquaintances pleasant qualities all the uh, qualities she admired and then she also started thinking about her friends imperfections so what she did was she wanted to write them down in these two lists she thought i'm going to write a list of all my friends good qualities and then she said i'm going to write another list of all her bad qualities um, and then she thought, wouldn't it be nice if I mailed this list of good qualities to my friends so she could, you know, feel good about herself. But what she ended up doing was mailing the wrong list. So she essentially, uh, roasted her friend, uh, via mail and was horribly embarrassed and was begged uh, another friend to go apologize on her behalf. And, um, I, the letters don't show what happened after that, but. So did she send a list of, of poor qualities that were about herself but to her friend oh no no the list was all about her friend's qualities oh i was gonna say okay i thought she'd yeah. written a list of good things about her friends and bad stuff about herself i mean that's what i would um, <laughs> oh well yeah no that's incredibly awkward <laughs> <laughs> again i feel like this is a question that you could ask maybe to all of these was she sober before she sent out these letters <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness! Probably, probably, probably. Maybe not when she picked the letters up. You know, maybe she, maybe she had a a, a nightcap, yeah. and then was feeling bold. There, is, but there is a big difference, isn't there, between accidentally replying all on an email, which is in an instant, versus writing a whole letter, putting it in the envelope, 
sticking down a, a stamp, putting it in the letterbox, and then going, "What have I done?" Like that's <laughs> that's an hours, isn't it? It's kind of like a very old school way of like subtweeting. But I get well, I guess not really because she said she said exactly what she thought directly to that person. So it's actually not that. It's just like going up to that person and being a bit of a bitch, I guess. Oh, Sam, have you ever have you ever talked behind someone's back and they found out? Um, I, I okay. This isn't me just trying to come off like pleasant on a podcast, but I I find it quite hard to dislike people. So if if I have something negative to say about someone, I would quite happily... Like, if there was, say... I'm not saying this is the case, although it definitely is the case. If there was another comedian, for example, that had wronged me in some way, I would quite happily tell every other comedian I saw after then, this is exactly what they did, and this is their name, and this is their full home address, and you should put it on. You should put it on social media. I just try and dox all of my enemies. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I don't. I don't really do the. I. I. I sound. I feel like I sound like one of those people on a reality TV show. It's like <laughs> if you've got something to say, say it to my face. I, I. I'm not saying that. I actually think it's quite nice sometimes if you have something mean to say about somebody to say it without them in the room. That's kind. That's very nice. Um, or you can do what this lady did and write it in a letter and then at least you have some time before they read it and then they have to write a letter back going like, <laughs> excuse me, what the hell are you saying? Um, there's something very enjoyable. You can really like savour the moment there with the letter. What what Around what time was this? Like what in history? This was in the 1600s. So was she saying things to her friends like, oh, Roland, I thought I'd write you this letter to say that it, your your the quince you made the other day at the banquet was was really was really thick and nobody <laughs> liked it and the the handmaidens were guffawing at your behaviour and your manner and how you're saying how rude was it like you know you're, yeah. you're saying that in 2021 we might say OMG you fat slag what were you doing with my boyfriend <laughs> but back in the 1600s it wouldn't be quite as Risky, is it or not? I just tried to think of the most 1600s thing I could, and apparently that's quince. 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 <laughs> I think I think you nailed yeah. it, yeah. And we don't have copies of the lit- the letters, but I, I think you nailed it. I, you know, she was uh, in an aristocratic marriage, and she probably, um, like you said, it was something that would that would be like, you know, you were you were impolite this one day, <laughs> and but back then that was probably the worst thing you could hear. So she's been keeping receipts, old Cavendish. <laughs> she knew she was just waiting for a moment. Oh, well, good for her. I feel like that was a very good release for her. Hmm. It's it, it's sort of like writing down, isn't it, a letter and then and then and then burning it in a way. It's like a you know, oh, mm. getting out all your emotions and then burning it. But this person has actually sent it to that person. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Joe, would you ever, if you were particularly annoyed at someone, would you tell them? Would you send them a WhatsApp, an email, or even a letter? I mean, do because I, I think Sam, you're absolutely right. Do you in these days of you know? being very careful about people's mental health, but also honesty is a good thing as well. What's being mean and what's being honest. Cause some people do say, um, particularly on UK reality shows, oh, I just can't help it. I'm just honest. And then they just insult other people. And it's like, well, that's not honesty. Yeah. That's sort of just being a bit mean. I mean, what's your level of it, Joe? You know, I, I'm not going to ever, ever tell somebody 
anything bad like that. And I'm going to tell myself that, you know, oh, these bad qualities aren't bad. You know, they just have a different experience, this and that. But, in you know, to my wife, I will... I will go on for for a long time about somebody's faults once I get started. <laughs> um, and it's usually something that I just, you know, something that I just can't stand about them. And it just does not align with my values at all. But, um, of course, then I, I feel just completely horrible after that. And remember who's, you know, remember who I am and all of my many, many faults. And so, no, I would never I would never tell someone that on a text or a letter or an email um, not even if I was drunk, never. Good for you. Wow. Well, you're a better person than me, Joe. A much better person than me. <laughs> um, I have my doubts. <laughs> there is some questions as to the you know veracity of this, but it was recorded in a in a book in the uh, 19th century that uh, during the during the uh, heyday of coffee in um, the Ottoman Empire, uh, in what's now Turkey. Uh, coffee was very important, and supposedly a woman could divorce her husband on the grounds that he did not supply his wife with enough coffee. On the grounds, you say? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you caught that. How rich. How rich. <laughs> um, fair enough. I, did, I mean, it's weird that there's one about divorce, seeing as I recently got married. Not because I'm planning to divorce my husband, but uh, I found out recently, because they haven't updated the laws properly... Um, I, I or he could commit adultery and we couldn't use it as a grounds for divorce. And when I said this to him the other day, he was like, why have you been Googling that? And I said, don't think about it. It doesn't concern me. Uh, that's, that's fair enough. A coffee. I would have thought like maybe like a more rare substance, maybe like, um, like quince, for example. (laughs) Joe, was it? Was it definitely? It, was coffee? Was coffee considered a a delicacy or a? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it was at the time. It had only recently come to the area um, in the mid 16th century, and coffee shops had become a, a thing, a big deal, just like they were later in Western Europe. And you know, they they really clamped down on coffee years later in that area. But yeah, it was absolutely a. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. Um, much like it still is, but probably a much bigger deal and was that uh, at be- the time in that area. You bet. I was going to say, is that because of like the flavor or like the exoticness? Or did someone like in the Ottoman Empire discover it and then went around to everyone and was like, oh my God, guys, you have to try this. Like you, it, you drink it and then you can't sleep and you might shit yourself. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Everyone's going to love it. Yeah, I think that's pretty much uh, how it was introduced everywhere. Uh, with, the, with 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 that exact pitch because yeah I think uh, the caffeine for the most part you know that was what was driving it and it was still is still kind of a new thing uh, in a lot of parts of the uh, the world it was very exotic and you know coming from I think originally maybe Ethiopia and making its way into the uh, Arabian world mm. and and then into Europe but yeah I mean it was it was exotic it was it was like a drug um, and when everybody was talking about all these new ideas and new science, you know, this coffee is what helped fuel that. And so, so. She, did they think that women needed more coffee than men if it was grounds for divorce? If hmm. if if she couldn't, if she didn't get the coffee that she needs, I assume to I don't know, make children. <laughs> now, there's an angle I hadn't thought about. I don't know. <laughs> Because it was it true the other way round if that if she couldn't provide enough coffee for the husband. I'm not sure. Probably, probably. I'm sure they wrote it in there 
um, yeah, probably both ways. I would hope. You would hope. It's quite as well. Mm. Would you say, Joe, would you say it's quite sort of um, uh, modern as well? Like, uh, surely a woman divorcing her husband back then would have been very very unheard of well, or am i am i completely wrong in that I, like i said I'm, I'm british and awkward but when it comes to history well you know 90 percent nazis me as me and sam have already said <laughs> um i mean i'm certainly no expert in in that time but but based on my limited research yeah there was um there was they had some rights women did have some rights to be able to um to file for divorce i think i read that there was there was a stipulation in marriage that you could make a, a promise early on that says, if you don't uphold this promise, um, the woman could say, he must divorce me, <laughs> was, was, I think, was I think what I read. Right. Um, which means that you could make that coffee or you could do anything, I suppose, with that, you know. Like a very specific prenuptial agreement, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like I vow to, you know, I vow to always love you, but if you stop loving me, you must divorce me. And that's the law. Sam, you know? what's the one thing that you would see as, as grounds for divorce? Like a lack of coffee or if your husband came to one of your gigs and didn't laugh loud enough. I mean, what what's the level? <laughs> We're past that point now. Sometimes I'll tell him, I'm going for a gig. Do you want to come? And he'd be like, I can't be bothered. I've known <laughs> you for five years. I know what you're going to say. Um, <laughs> what a big question. What would make me want to divorce my husband? Uh, Speaking trivially, you know, like it's something like coffee. Oh, you know? well, I guess the thing that we argue the most about... Oh, Oh, I know what it is. Um, my, it, We moved in together over the lockdown, so we had to get used to living with each other very quickly and not long before we got married. And when you find out all of those quirky things about each other, you're like, oh, I guess this is something I'm going to have to put up with until I die. And it's, um, for him, I don't know if this is normal, but say you've like made some food and there's leftovers and you want to save them for tomorrow, you put them in the fridge but I would cover them in cling film or put them in a Tupperware. He will just take the dish and put it in the fridge raw, <laughs> just barebacking the dish into the fridge. And I just, I don't, that's an, that's an issue that I, do you know what? I don't know if we'll overcome it. I'll say it, I'll be honest. <laughs> so he puts the pot like a, like if there was a big pot of soup, he would just put the pot in there without a lid or anything? For soup, he has put that in a Tupperware. But for things like yesterday, he roasted a ham did a lovely roast ham just put the pan just put the pan that he roasted the ham in right into the fridge with the ham still in it which i always thought was like a thing i always thought you had to cover everything because i otherwise everything would in the fridge would just smell of ham you'd eat your yogurt in the morning and it would taste of ham or you would you would like go for some milk and it would taste of ham like it would just be ham 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 oh i never thought of it that way i never thought of the odor but that makes sense yeah before before i was married i definitely would have barebacked all my leftovers <laughs> um but uh since getting married i've i've learned a little bit about uh uh yeah i can understand why he would do that but um, can, can i throw in a controversial point sure i think if sam like if your husband has roasted a ham and i i'm literally picturing quite a big hat like a, a gammon like a, a, a whatever the word you know yeah, like a, a, a joint, joint of ham yeah. in a pan and i don't mean to suddenly become a slam poet but if if that was the case i think that without cling film is absolutely fine because surely the ham is massively protruding out of the dish but if it's something like 
mush leftover mushrooms or salad or something then i would cling film that but a joint of ham personally i would bear back if we're going with that phrase <laughs> i be- i believe that is i i'm sure i heard nigella say that that like you bear back it into the fridge i think she said that at some point um but you could you could carve the ham down you could like cut it into slices and then cover it because we could put it. You could put it into sandwiches the next yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. No, okay, no, no, no. To to continue this very interesting point, if if you if it's sliced ham, absolutely cover it in cling film. But as a joint of ham, unsliced, I'm 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 in the camp for you. That can that can bear back in the fridge. But I'm, you my c- hand I'm up saying for you that. could cut it into slices. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're just opening the fridge pulling out the entire ham joint and eating it like an apple and then putting it back in the fridge. Joe, I'm going to have to, we're going to have to, you have to be the deciding <laughs> vote on this because otherwise me and Sam will fall out. Well, we have a ham in our fridge right now, actually, and it is uncovered at the top and it has a knife sticking out of it. Um, <laughs> looks looks very medieval. And it is a spiral sliced ham glazed. And you know what? If my wife's okay with that, I'm willing to bet anything that that's appropriate. Yeah, but I don't want to be... Con- the added element of a, a live knife in the fridge as well, that seems a bit bizarre. How big a knife are we talking? <laughs> well, it's actually... It's a pretty small knife. It's the knife, you know, we'd carve out something to put on a sandwich. And I don't know, I kind of like it. Yeah, I don't know. I could I, We could lose hours, hours of our life talking about this and all of the listeners. But I think there's some serious <laughs> fridge etiquette being flouted by everyone in this conversation one way or another mm-hmm. oh dear um i can't remember what the original sam's okay, yeah, coining you... of the term barebacking i think is the main takeaway i am a pioneer <laughs> if nothing else <laughs> hopefully there'll be a sort of podcast in about 500 years that goes back in the early 21st century <laughs> they used to bareback ham into the fridge we heard a podcast <laughs> recording so it definitely is a thing <laughs> We are delighted to say that Ancient Origins is sponsoring this podcast. Ancient Origins is the world's most popular ancient history website, covering lost civilizations, odd artifacts, amazing places, and strange events in history. It brings alive the mystery and intrigue of our ancient past. Listeners to this podcast can get 20% off a premium subscription by using the code HISTORY. Okay, on with the show. Back in the day, 15th to 19th centuries, a lot of wealthy people would actually, reportedly, they would hire garden hermits who were like real-life garden gnomes, but they were people (laughs) who would, they would pay to kind of dress like a druid, live in a little shack in their garden, and they would offer wise counsel and guest entertainment uh, to people who showed up. So it was kind of this quaint little, like, uh, you know, we've got this wise little old gnome in the garden, you know, he'll give you (laughs) advice, which I just, I think is, is fantastic. Um, I don't think it was that common, (laughs) but you know, um, because I don't think the gnomes, I don't think that people really, really, there was no, no amount of money that was worth that kind of subjecting yourself to that kind of, uh, um, patronizing role, but uh, I, yeah, I guess I thought, and you know, when we posted this, it sounded like a lot of people thought that would be the perfect job for them. You know, they're if they're an introvert and they just want to live in a garden, 
You know, what could be better than that? I think they were paid the equivalent <laughs> of seventy to eighty thousand uh, dollars. What uh, American dollars today? <laughs> um, which isn't bad. Not bad. That's a reasonable annual income. I agree. To be a human garden gnome. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. Somewhere, someone has met, someone runs an OnlyFans where they take requests would be like, <laughs> I will be a human garden gnome. If you send me the fishing rod, I will pose suggestively in my garden next to the pond with a big pointy hat. <laughs> I, that's, that's why I said, when you said human garden gnomes, I was thinking that like, it wouldn't be like, I thought, have you ever, have you seen on Saturday Night Live that character Stefan, where he, every time he comes on, there's always a bit where he set, where he says like, oh, you've got to go to this place. It has like human fanny packs. And I'll be like, what's a human fanny pack? And he goes, it's that thing of where a little person holds your waist and follows you around the room and you keep your house keys in its mouth. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. I see. Okay. Yeah. Exactly the same. And are they still hiring for these human gnomes? <laughs> mm. I think that would that would certainly violate some kind of labor law in America, but we can change the laws. I mean, if you offered, like, some kind of health insurance with it, maybe. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I think it would just be eating the herbs in the garden. But did you mention, Joe, that they they offered counsel as well? Like, what, like relationship advice or, like, legal counsel? I mean, what level of counsel? Because if you're saying... Well, yeah, I think it would be, you know, it would be what you'd expect if you walked up to Gandalf and, you know, to ask him, you know, what's the meaning of life kind of advice. That's what I'm hoping. Oh, okay. So, like, it wouldn't be, like, if you, if you had Gandalf in your garden now and you'd be like, should I invest in crypto or something like that? <laughs> yeah, I think he would, he would take any question, even those practical ones about crypto and then give you a very abstract (laughs) vague philosophical answer about it that's what i hope okay okay so it's more philosophical questions okay got it so and joe how much was it 70 to eighty thousand us dollars Uh, according to what i read it was yeah um 700 pounds which uh is seventy seven thousand dollars in today's money in american dollars um (laughs) uh there was one uh, one seven hundred seven hundred pounds is seven hundred pounds. Yes. Oh wait, seven hundred pounds yes. back then, <laughs> and then converted and inflation applied. Got it. I hope nobody does the math on that because I certainly didn't. <laughs> um, there was one, yeah, one man who hired a hermit to live there for seven years. He wasn't allowed to leave the estate. He wasn't allowed to speak with anyone or cut his hair. Um, but apparently, after just three weeks, he was seen in the local pub. So. He, uh... I'm sorry, is this not the plot of Fifty Shades of Grey? It's just in a garden. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure this all happened in Fifty Shades of Grey. And then they just had a bit of nookie every now and again in a weird kinky way. This is what it sounds like. It sounds like a cover up for yeah. a little... I think rom- we have to assume there's a there's a sexual element to all of these, yes. To, to everything. <laughs> to, what, to, to all of the facts. <laughs> Sam, how for seventy to $80,000, do you think you'd... Um, stand in someone's garden and offer philosophical counsel every yeah self. I wouldn't be very good at the counsel but I'd do it <laughs> I don't know what kind of questions they'd ask me I would actually prefer them to ask me about crypto mm. and then I could I, you could just tell somebody to give invest and even if it's bad oh well oops oops yep. I'm a naughty gnome oh <laughs> <laughs> Joe, how long did the um, do you know how long it sort of carried on? Was this like a a summer a summer thing where the world went a bit mad, or was this for many years? I mean, 
if if this is to be believed that you know this went from the 15th century to the 19th century, that's a very long time. Um, and I think for 400 years. Yeah. Um, what does there, daddy no, do, mummy? Oh, daddy's daddy's a real gnome. <laughs> when can we see him? We can't because a landowner on the estate owns daddy. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's like. Uh... I'm thinking, like, in the 70s, when people would get, like, the cool new kitchen appliance. Like, I'm not sure what, like, a crock pot or a pressure cooker or a, I don't know, like, a fondue set. And then you'd hear, like, have you had Sharon down the road? She's only gone and got herself a fondue set. If they still had them there, they would definitely talk about them that way. Like, you heard about Sharon down the road? There's a man that lives in her garden <laughs> and she pays him to do that. And sometimes when she's sad, she asks him questions. Oh, <laughs> uh. Is that where we is that where we get garden gnomes from? Because they actually used to be real people in people's gardens. I think so. I think I think I think it is. I think there's a connection there when I when I recall reading about this, but I can't say for sure. That's very interesting. I just thought again, someone wasn't sober and thought, what if there were just little people in your garden? Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Okay, right before we finish, uh, there's just time to go through a few medieval jobs. Uh, These have been submitted on the History Hustle Facebook pages where we asked readers to describe their modern-day jobs as though they're from the olden times. Uh, So, Sam, if you don't mind, uh, you try to guess what these are. Okay. This is somebody's modern-day job described in medieval terms. Okay. This is from Dawn. Back when I could still work, I go deep into the forest and I look for lost and injured people. I go out in the rivers in the deep water to rescue and bring back the lost and injured people bearing big storms or at night when it's cold outside. Like a park ranger? Or like a paramedic or something? Pretty much, yep. That's search and rescue. Oh, right. Okay. Search and rescue. Alright, um, so I say you got that one. Yeah, well, um, I'm sure we can put in a ding somewhere, a ding sound effect. <laughs> Give daddy the ding, it's all he wants. <laughs> Um, Jamie, I go to a place where all the old people live and give them potions and all kinds of stuff and tell them it will make them better, even though I know most of them are just praying for it to be over. Oh, Coke dealer. (laughs) (laughs) Or like a care home worker, I guess, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's closer. Yeah, yeah. Nursing home nurse. (laughs) Yeah. This is from Joel. So there are these rocks that we tricked into thinking called computers. My job is to convince them to do things for other people. It's, this feels very human garden know me, if I'm being <laughs> honest. But I'll guess he's like a software developer. Nailed it. That's it. <laughs> okay. Oh, we wanted to ask Sam about um, his parents. Oh, yes. Sam, yeah, would yeah, you yeah. mind if you could describe what your parents do in medieval terms? We would love to hear that. Okay. <laughs> oh, Okay, I'll do my. I'll I'll start with my dad. Uh, my dad keeps watch over a place where the local villagers come to seek respite from the ailments and the troubles of the world, and they leave much happier or unable to walk. At the start, I was going pub, but it feels like some sort of. Um... I don't know what it would... How about, I'm thinking, a therapist or a counsellor, um, psychiatrist? Do do I say? <laughs> no, you never say, and we never return to this again. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, bye. 
um G- giles giles was was right the first time my dad runs a pub there you go oh Okay. okay. I have a mum as well. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't mean to brag. I've got a dad and a mum. Um, my mum, uh, uh, how how to how to say how to say what my mum does. My mum helps people say the things that they want to say when they don't know how to say them in the right way. I don't know if that's medieval. I think I've just described her job poorly. <laughs> Speech therapist. Uh, um, like a lawyer, a lawyer or a a speechwriter. They're both kind. Well, okay, they're both wrong, but <laughs> they're <laughs> but they're not bad. My mum, my mum was a Spanish teacher. Oh, okay. But I okay. didn't know how to say Spanish in medieval speak because they wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have known about the language. <laughs> What's funny is I think both of those jobs are, are are two pretty old jobs that they would have had. Certainly a a, a, a pub owner or pub manager or bartender and um, somebody mm-hmm. that maybe probably back then, yeah, it would have been translating, you know, Latin for your kids or something like that. Well done. Thank you, Sam. My pleasure. Well, that is all we have time for on this week's episode of Socially Awkward History. Thank you to our guest, the hilarious Sam Lake. Sam, where can we find more of you? Um, you can find me on social media, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, and what's the Chinese one? TikTok. Um, at Mr. Sam Lake, uh, because it's owned by China. Um, I also have a podcast called I've Had a Rosé, Let's Talk About Feelings, where I talk to other comedians about how they deal with emotions. And I'm also, it's not a tour. I'm just going to some places and doing a show in an order. <laughs> um, I'm, I am I have a show next year called Cake. And if you go to my social media somewhere, it can tell you where it will be showing. And hopefully that will be lots of places and somewhere near wherever you are listening. Awesome. Thank you, Sam. Thank you also to our sponsors, Ancient Origins. You can find out more about them and get 20% off a subscription by clicking the link below in the show notes. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, please do follow or subscribe and leave a review as well as a five-star rating. It really helps other people discover us. You can find out more about History Hustle on social media as well as historyhustle.com. This podcast was produced by Giddy Ant Comedy and edited by Phil Atkins. Most importantly, thank you to you for listening. We really do appreciate it. We'll see you soon. And remember, the more we learn about history, the better we understand our world and the better we understand each other. Goodbye. Goodbye.